This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Educational Triage Podcast. This week, we're talking about how to interview for an alternative school position. Something that is very different in a sense, but the same, but even more, even more vital for information than just interviewing for a mainstream position, I would think. And to help me do that, we have the indomitable Philip Summers. Hey, Hello. Philip. Good to see you. Hello. Good to see you as well. Um, and so you and I collectively, we have between 60 and 70 years of maybe plus years of working in the education well. system, but also in alternative ed. True. So so would, what a lot of people don't realize is that just telling somebody they're going to start working in alternative ed just doesn't cut it. It's more specialized, <laughs> I believe, and it should be more specialized, I believe, it is. than just grabbing somebody off the street and throwing them in there because you just need a body to take care of those kids. Absolutely. It, and, and within the alternative ed setting, there's so many diverse mini settings. You know, it's not cut from a whole cloth. There's all kinds of different approaches. Exactly. And that's why I was a little perturbed when I had to do interviews two, three years ago that they said, we're going to keep these interviews down to about 20 minutes. And I said, that's not even that that's hardly long enough. And they said, well, I have things to do. And I said, you might have things to do, but we have to make sure that we get the right person into this position. That'd be good. And it's, it's really not that obvious. And so we have to make sure that we ask the right questions. So, and they had some people in on the interview that I thought were absolutely inappropriate. But anyway. I was making a guess about as to the role of that person who said they didn't have time and, and hadn't prioritized that particular approach to the interview. It was the administrator in charge of alternative education. Uh, it's what I thought. For our building. Yeah. So, okay. Now, this is not going to be instructional. It's going to be informative. 
And if you would like a copy of the transcript, or if you would like a copy of what I have here about the questions, feel free to email us at educationaltriage at gmail.com, and we will be happy to send that to you. So just put transcript in the subject heading. So we need to look into the current practices, and this is something that needs to happen. And so if you're going, if you're planning on interviewing, you need to understand this perspective as well. Um, you need to be, you just need to be prepared, and it's nothing to be afraid of because we're going to have questions that the interviewer and the interviewee should be asking. So we're going to start off with the interviewer, and I think we're probably going to pepper some insights for the interviewee as well as we go through this, because too often I think people go into an interview and they have the right answers, and maybe that's the problem. It's sort of like giving somebody a test, mm -hmm. and yeah, they can give it to you, but do they have a deeper understanding of what you're talking about? So I think we need to be able to probe and come up with some ideas on how do we ensure that what we're getting is truly the product that we want so that we can tell that the cover matches the interior pages. Does the cover yeah. match the plot? So um, mm -hmm. while it may be time consuming for the interview, you should be working to see if this is a fit not only for your vision, but whether or not they bring value to the students and to the learning biome. How flexible are they? How innovative are they? So do they have ideas? How do you, how do you judge whether or not they have ideas? Do you have an environment where they could thrive? Do you have an environment where the students are thriving? Or is that something that you're looking for? Because instead of just looking at the content, you're looking at creating a space where students can thrive because mm. these are students who very much either don't fit into the mainstream classroom because it's too big and they need more one-on-one -on -one attention or they're people who have not been able to let's say fulfill their mission of education in learning and they've missed something they've missed some tidbits and so they just need to figure out a way to get their foot in the door so that they can start marching their way towards graduation and get those skills back up. Sounds fair. I was I was thinking about that community thing again. <laughs> just the, the darn community. If I was thinking to myself, if I was working alone in a program, which I've done, um, what am I looking for in the students? And then I thought, okay, now if I'm going to be interviewing, I have a coworker. What would I want them to become within the community of that, of the of the program we have? So that would be, I guess what I'm saying is there's an approach to it, and I'm not quite sure how to interview that, whereas somebody kind of knows how to thrive and work in a community. It takes a certain kind of person. Because um, in your, if you, when you're in alternative ed, you're taking some risks, at least I, I perceived it sometimes. And so they have to be comfortable taking those risks. And it's hard sometimes to tell if someone's ambitious or just comfortable within their own skin. 
And that's that you want the you want the latter, the authentic person, because that's what the person that's the person I want to work with. Exactly, because if you are inauthentic, you're not going to make it. Yeah, it's it's just it's hard to see, but yeah, you got to just. I I, don't, I wouldn't know how to do that. I th- I got some yeah, I got some ideas, but yeah. Okay. To get to that authentic person. Right, and I think that. If you have a 20-minute interview, it's it's glossing over everything, yeah, and yeah. you don't really have a chance to understand who it is that you're actually interviewing, unless you really don't care about the kids, and, well, you, yeah. And, yeah. And, and the program is simply not a priority to you. And then go ahead and do whatever you're going to do. And I'm not saying that uh, to insult anybody. I'm just saying, you know, don't bother. Seriously, don't bother, because if the kids, the purpose of education is about the kids, and it's about growing the kids and allowing them to blossom so that they can move on into society and they can foster others and do more and help build the community that they live in, as well as the economy. Yeah, helping helping create good people. And if you dump people by the wayside and say that they're just not worth your time, then you reap what you sow. So, okay. So, the first thing that everybody wants to know is, what do you know about the program? What do you know about the school? What have you heard? If you are being interviewed, you should have done research before. You should have taken a look and seen what that is all about, and you should be writing down questions that you have for clarity. And when you go into the interview, the interview should be a win-win situation. The people interviewing are trying to make sure that you are the right fit for the program and that you can actually maintain and take it a step further and that you are a viable asset and a and a value add so that it doesn't stagnate so it can move forward in some way for the interviewee you need to make sure and we're going to get into this you need to make sure that this is the right environment for you and that this is somehow intriguing and i want you to pay attention as an interviewee to the body language of the people, the words that they choose when they are interviewing you, what's their level of respect for the program, and how do they address different elements, especially your questions when it comes to these uh, issues or elements that you may speak to. And how often do administrators speak during the interview and how often do the members of the program or school, how are they interviewing you at the same time? Another thing to look at, and I think this is a huge, huge uh, component to the interview, and that would be are students involved in the process? And if they're not, why not? And that's a viable question. I think that's a valuable question that you can ask and see how that's how, what the response is. Yeah, I thought so, about that. That's excellent. 
Well, yeah, because they want to make sure that you are the right person for them as well. And yeah. it also gives them some ownership and some agency in it. Now, who those students are that you choose to to be in there, you might not want to have the best students, but you might not want to have the worst students. You might want to have students who you want to have students who you can trust, who might actually gain some value for themselves in doing the interview. So, so now we ask about the program, we ask about the school elements, about what it is. There's so many different kinds of programs. So it's good to have some kind of background knowledge on different programs. If you're doing it the night before, it may not be enough time for you to actually get enough questions. So I would say once you hear about the program, you should probably start doing some investigations and do some background research on different kinds of alternative programs. They're going to ask you about yourself and as the interviewee. And this is a great place for you to showcase your background, which is you want to demonstrate the elements that would prove to be viable to your audience and to the program. So are you talking about teaching? Are you talking about learning? Are you talking about mindsets? Are you talking about how you shift mindsets, the growth mindset? Are you talking about working with grit? Are you talking about how you're able to help students develop, explore, and move? In their learning. So, and what other kinds of outside experience do they have that might fit into the same place? Um, does the interviewee have grit? And if you don't know what grit is, we don't have time for that, but you can read Angela Duckworth's book on grit. Um, if you need to learn about growth mindset, you need to listen to the podcast uh, that we did on growth mindset, or you can read Carol Dweck's book. It's fantastic. So the next step, is there anything else that you want to add in there, Philip? No, I think that covers it. Okay. So far. Yeah. So look at what what are the pedagogies? in philosophies and education. So asking an interviewee or the interviewee asking them about what is the what is the basic philosophy, what pedagogies do you follow in this program or this school? Which ones are celebrated? Which ones are you working on? Which ones seem to be the most effective? And you should probably be able to speak to the ones that really work for you in working with students, but then also have some others in your knapsack that you can pull out so that you can use those. Because mm -hmm. one of the things about an alternative educator is if you're good with working with kids, you need to be able to pivot on the spot and change direction. And that means yeah. if I'm teaching Philip about mathematics and we're going over his algebra one, and little Jimmy over here needs help with his, um, he's reading the most dangerous game and he has a couple of questions for me. 
I should be able to flip flop really quickly. And then somebody else <laughs> might come to me and ask me a question. So that's why I think having an early childhood education experience is so vital because it teaches you how to breathe. It teaches you how to just transition like bing, bang, boom, and just move. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I think is important as a teacher is having different ways to come at the same thing. I kind of like to think that if I have like four to five different ways of explaining something, different manners, different modes, mm -hmm. you know, I can get to most of the kids that way. I right. feel comfortable with about five. That's why okay. I'm not very comfortable with math because I, I may have one, <laughs> rarely two. It's like, yeah, I don't feel comfortable with teaching this, which just tells well, me that I know where to send people. But you know what? At this stage in the high school or even at middle school, I think we have to, we have to realize that students have a level of intelligence and competence. Mm. And the fact that they're coming to school says something. Now you can give them the information and they say, I'm not getting this. And then you go through it with them and say, what is it that you are not understanding? Sure. Show me what you do understand. And then you get to that point. And, that's, and if you don't understand it, then you work on it together. I yeah. think that's one of the most authentic ways of <clears throat> learning is to do just that. Because the students are, and that way, if you get it, then you can say, ah, I figured it out. And they'll say, well, how is it? And then you can go through everything with them and give them some other examples that they can then work through and you can do those together. Or they figure it out and then they look at you and they say, ha, I got it before you did. Oh, Think yeah. of the joy that that gives a student. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And then, you know, you can high five, you can do all kinds of stuff, but it's the quest of not allowing them to quit. And you can't quit either because you don't understand. You have to demonstrate, you have to demonstrate that. Yeah. You do. Demonstrate the grit. Yeah, you do. You really do. Um, think about what does whole student mean? If we say we're going to educate the whole student, what does that mean? How do you employ that? How question. do you do that? What is project-based learning? It's not just giving the kids a project. Think about how to employ project-based learning, take a look. There are all kinds of things about it on Quora, on Reddit, on X. There are so many different resources that you can find. Go to the Cult of Pedagogy podcast with Jennifer Gonzalez, and she has resources there. So just type in, what is project-based learning? You can even go to uh, Google Scholar, just type in scholar.google.com and just look it up and you can find some other some other resources that might help you out with that as well, as well with everything else. It's almost like making a project out of researching project-based learning. It kind huh. of is. Wow. But the one thing is, is that you can't say that you know something for definite sure, because we never know everything, do we? No, no. In fact, and if we do, it might change. But anyway. Well, and the more we learn, the more we realize how little we have learned.
Yeah, that's the scariest part, isn't it? That's what makes us wise. Whoa, I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what about developing an individualized learning plan? Or even a student map, either one. For those of you following following at home, that IEP, too, is in the parentheses. Well, it's not an IEP. It's not an IEP. But it's not a legal one. And that's where the terminology comes in. Right. But what it is. I saw it was. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, go ahead. Well, individual learning plan. I was going to say, cue Tony and and describe it. (laughs) Yeah. So an individual learning plan is where I take Philip and I, and I say, okay, let's figure out, tell me, tell me about where you really struggle in school and what we really need to work on. Well, I really hate math. Why do you hate math? Because I just don't get it. Okay, so let's focus in on math and let's figure out where you need to be and how we're going to get you there. How's your reading? I hate reading. Okay, so we're going to focus in on that. I'm going to figure out what resources I can use in order to get Philip going, but I'm not going to do it as kind of a, what I would call an individualized pull-out program where I'm going to work with those individual skills outside of the realm of the content areas. So if if Philip is not able to read very well and he's got to read something, I could, and we've done this with um, when, when I was working in residential, my assistant and I, we decided to try the Hooked on Phonics program. Uh-huh. And yes, it was a bit of a pullout, but what it did was the kids were then able to launch themselves and they did so much better. We also mm. had the SRA. And they yeah. could do this as when they were yes, when they needed right. a break because it was something that was right. so different. And Hooked right. on Phonics they found to be just delightful. They loved playing. I never tried that. The SRA reading lab, I got to tip my cap to it. That was a good way to get reading levels up. And and those are two different ways of doing it. Um, And you can go in there and they sing the songs and da-da-da-da-da. And then they come out and they're singing the songs and they're having fun. So, but everything needs to be to give them a step up but if it's if it's a little bit apart from what it is that they're supposed to be working on, that can be okay if it's seen as a break. And it's fun. The programs, all, all the programs that I had been in, every student had an IELP per se, you know, because they, yeah. they were trying to get to graduation from different places. And so right. we plugged in and, those, those credits, classes, the cohorts job right. uh, placements, things like that to get them there. Right. And so what you might have, it might look as a chart. You might actually have like a little roadmap, whatever, mm-hmm. but you're looking at when do, okay, so if we start working on this, when can we start working on the next piece? So yeah. I've had seniors that come in that need 12 credits and I will say, and I'll be very honest with them, look, I can get you the credits, but you have to do the work. So if you're willing to put in the work, then we can do it. I've had Hmm. kids who earned between six and seven credits a quarter. 
They didn't I sleep had, much. Yeah. But they Hollywood. worked. They worked. I had one girl, I, I did a uh, high school completion program. We had a policy of five credits at the year, three credits uh, by the semester. Or no, five at the semester, three at the quarter to graduate. Mm -hmm. And she came in at the quarter needing five. And I said, I don't, I don't think you can do it. And uh, I said, but I'll tell you what, I will eat that crow if you serve it up. And she did it. And she thought she was putting one over. She said, oh, look, I did it. I did it. And I'm just going, yes. <laughs> Joke's <laughs> on you. <laughs> it was awesome. Nope. Five credits. Where there's a order. will, there's a way. <laughs> it was crazy. And it was good work. Was, oh, my God. <laughs> but it's just. Crud, yeah. But it's something. And I always tell the kids, I'm doing this in pencil. And the reason why I'm doing it in pencil is because things change. Oh, yeah. Life changes. Moods change. What you want to do changes. Other things come up. So, That's a good insight. Use a pencil. So you can do that. Um, what styles of learning do the students follow? Is the program conducive to different learning styles in the classroom or did the district decide to set mandates on them, much like they tried to do to me yeah. in my last position, where they said everybody was going to learn, no ifs, ands, or buts, with the computer platform learning, Yeah, of which there's many. There's Plato, there's Odyssey, there's Ingenuity, there's GradPoint. Anyway, and we were not allowed to do any editing on the courses to make them shorter. Which was an well, departure. Well, I'm going to burn in hell because I edited those suckers down. And I did it so that they would match the courses that the students would have been in. And right. there was a difference between credit recovery and taking the course as new. And it just hit everything. It was content-based um, with the standards. And we also gave the students, we had online packets, we had printed packets. And so the students who didn't want to be staring at the computer, which we know over two hours, between two to three hours a day on a computer screen can impose major depression. It can just trigger it. So yeah, why do we want, why do we about. want to develop these mental health problems for students and then try to fix them with SEL, social emotional <laughs> learning lessons. Online SEL, no. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's it's absolutely it's insane. <laughs> it sort of says something about how you think about that population of students. Well, it really does. I mean, because yes. you're punishing them. Yeah. You're giving and them one it option, does, not a good one. You're setting them up is what you're doing. Yes, we've spoken about that, in fact. And what, you know, a good question for the interviewee would be, how does this program set the students up for success? Ah, that's a great question. How does this program set and complete, well, not complete, but how does it create and develop student agency among the population. Uh, so 
Um, remember, it's a back and forth. There should be a conversation. And the more conversant you are, I think what you don't want to do is be overly conversant with the interviewers, because that mm -hmm. might make them nervous, especially if you know more than they do. Um, but, you know, mm. they should be open to learning. So what is student agency and learning? You should know what that is. We're talking about self-regulation. We're talking about choice and voice. We're talking about ownership and responsibility. We're talking about inquiry and curiosity. Education from the very get-go squishes and squashes curiosity. We do not allow students to be innovative. We don't allow them to use their imagination. They need to do it one way because teachers have been so, I hate to say the word repressive, but I think regimented. that they think that, yeah, very regimented, regimented. in what they're teaching and wow. you have buildings. And, you know, by the time students are high school students, they've got to have those creative outlets. They really do. And part of that mm. is just getting outside and running it off and being able to process. Uh, collaboration and communication, huge skills that students really need to do. And teachers need to be able to do that as well. So that's a really good question to ask too. How do we collaborate inside of this? And reflection and metacognition, flexibility and adaptability. So how do they encourage, develop, and nurture student it? student agency there. And let's talk about the curriculum. What curriculum are we using? Mm -hmm. How do we develop it? How do we implement it? How do we monitor and adjust? Yeah. Is it a dynamic curriculum? Yeah. It, can, it, can it adjust? Can it think on its feet or is it rigid? Has it been the same thing that's been there for 15 years? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh. And if they become nervous on this one, then I would have a lot more questions for the interviewers mm -hmm. on this simply because uh, this, this may be one of those places that's set in stone and you will do as I tell you to do. How? What is the level of parental involvement in parent contact? Hmm. Now, I how many people ask that? Yeah, you know, how are parents involved? How are how is the parental community respected in this program? Is there any way to develop that? What What are the means of communication? What are the activities that we might have with them, as well as the community? Do we have anything with community involvement? So do we have community service projects? Do we do volunteering? For example, my last program, they had to serve five hours a quarter in order for their credits to be transcribed. It was in the contract that they and their parents signed. And <coughs> excuse me, it had to be approved. So you can't say, well, I mowed my neighbor's lawn. Okay, good. Yeah, they were so nice. They gave me 20 bucks. That's not volunteering. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, 
hey, I helped my friend's dad paint their house. No, no, no. That's not volunteer work. Is there somebody old, elderly in your community who's and they and they need help with something? Can you go up to them and say, what can <laughs> I do for you? Walking and I can't charge you any money, but I'm doing this as a project. And can I help you? <laughs> there are daycare centers. There are elderly care centers that would love to have people come in. And sometimes you can get a job from doing these things. Meals on Wheels would love to have people helping. And it's not necessarily driving, but in the kitchens, they might want to have you. Um, at the Meals on Wheels centers, they have they they have in-house dining. And so you can go around and you could like clean off the tables. And that would help you get a job at a real restaurant rather than McDonald's. Because you can put that down on your resume um, uh, for the students. So I'm just thinking of all these different ways. And it also allows for the community to feel good about the program from which these students are coming. So what is the what is the mission of the program? I wonder how many people could answer that. <laughs> Well, I think it's a darn good one because if they That's don't know what question. the mission of the program is, yeah. and in fact, a few years ago, I sat down with the staff members in our program and we hashed out what is the mission of the program. Yeah, I remember doing a few mission statements. What's that? I remember doing a few mission statements. Yeah, they're not easy to come by, no. but, and then- for the interviewee, what are your expectations for me? Now, if you're only meeting with an administrator who oversees the program and cannot answer a lot of these questions, then I would ask to have a second interview so that you could meet with people from the program so that you could have your questions better answered. Because an administrator usually, not always, because I'm thinking of Joe McQueen, who gets in the classroom and works with the teachers, and he knows pretty much everything that's going on. If it's a program director, that's very different. If it's somebody who's a principal and what you're interviewing for is a program that's within a huge school, the administrator probably has absolutely no clue, and it's probably way back in their mind if it's there at all. Um. What kind of trainings do we have for alternative ed and for these programs? <laughs> That's a great question. That would reveal much. If they say we do staff development and say, okay, for this program or for the general school, and if they say the general right. school, say, I'm asking about this program. Right. There should yeah. be times that are set up. If your district has, if the district has a director of alternative education, that person needs to be doing that with mm -hmm. all the alternative communities. And if they're not, demand to know why. Because where are you going to have backup if something goes wrong, if you have questions, and if you have specific needs? How are you going to have those taken care of if you're dangling? There's nothing worse. <laughs> so that's it. 
that is a lot of information. That's a lot say, to cover. That's a lot more than 20 minutes. That's a lot more than 20 minutes. In fact, I yeah. think that a good interview might last at least an hour to an hour and a half mm. in order to get there. Time. Yeah. So, so how much time would you be saving in the future? <laughs> you well, the yeah. Right person. yeah. And how much headache and heartache. Right. Yeah. It's hard to discern. So you've got to kind of flesh it out. I, I remember my um, interview uh, position I got in the district was I was given a scenario mm-hmm. and it revealed a part of me. The scenario was that, you know, a student wanted to kind of make a side deal with me with, you know, on the other side of my co-teacher. You know, well, the co-teacher said no, but if you, you know, if you let me do this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, yeah, I, we can talk about maybe letting you do that, but I'm certainly not going to go against Mr. Soames like, because we're partners and we trust each other and we want to keep it that way, you know, and that impressed the interviewer quite a lot, I guess. And that was just the natural reaction. It's like, yeah, that's not going to work, kid. But apparently <laughs> that, you know, she was looking for that quality of, oh, uh-huh can you know can identify with a student and still go no there's a boundary here though <laughs> but we can talk <laughs> that kind of thing and so i guess it was a match but that's how she kind of fleshed me out well yeah. unfortunately i've worked with several who did not do it your way <laughs> oh in fact i've had substitutes who would come in and they would pay the kids they gave the kids money. Money. And so they never come back, work. but. Oh, what? dear. Money to do work or money to. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, they answered a question. Oh, okay. So they gave them, they give them like a quarter or a dollar or something like that. Oh, wow. But you want to have somebody that you can collaborate with. And I have worked with people who will work behind your back because for them, it's an ego trip. They need to have the control. They want you to be their minion. They want everybody to be looking to them. So that's why you need to figure out. And if you are not student-centered yourself, probably not a good fit for you. You need to yeah. be student-centered. It's about the kids. It's not about the power and the glory of being like working. I mean, working for the program might be something unto itself, but it's really about the kids. Yeah. And what can Don't we use do? Don't a program and, like that as a stepping stone. Exactly. Yeah. It's more important. At least, yeah. you know, if I'm working with somebody, I want to know they're there, not moving on. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other questions that I wanted to put in there, to, there are two questions that I just realized that we didn't hit on. One is the collaborative component of working as a team. Ah, yeah. And the other component is, now it just fled out of my head. Um, and I don't, re- oh, is the collaboration. Yeah. Did I just say that? Yep, you did. But it, it's more than that, too. It's sort of like an, a, a kind of a, an agreement of standards. For example, 
I knew that one teacher did not want to be messed with in his classroom. And someone said, well, I got to go check with so-and-so. And so, no, you don't. And so-and-so doesn't want to talk to anybody. It isn't in period five, period. And then I knew that other teachers would be open to it. And I would like peek. I could go peek because it was a small environment. And I'd mm -hmm. say, yeah, it looks good. Go ahead. And so we had a kind of an open door so the kids could access the other teachers. Now, that's kind of rare, um, you know, because we had four of us teachers doing that. Well, the counselor, three teachers and the counselor. So it was kind of like just letting kids kind of freely interact, but knowing what each other's limits were. You know, the one guy downstairs didn't want everybody to interrupt him. Uh, the counselor would see anybody at any time if it was a certain degree of urgency, you know, and everything in between. And that's that's really quite a team. I really enjoyed working with them. Yeah. I mean, the team that I was on, I worked on one team where I would come into work I would start getting things done. And the next thing I would know, I would hear that there was something happening that day. It was up to me to come in to look at the calendar and know everything that was happening that day. Well, I'm sorry, I don't go into work and sit down and look at the calendar and try to figure out what these notations mean. Yeah, right. So I think that it's very important that you have very good lines of communication. And, sometimes, yeah. and one day, the person I was working with said, okay, I forgot to put it on the calendar, but this is what we're doing today. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, oh, we're going to be doing X, Y, and Z today. And I said, oh, well, you go on without me because I'm not dressed for that. I didn't bring any clothes. Where they turned around and looked at me and said, we are a team. And I said, teams communicate with each other and let other people have a heads up before they come up with these things. I had absolutely no inkling that this was, ever, that this was coming up. You never discussed it with me. Nothing. I don't know what hmm. to do. Yeah, that's a problem. So... How often do you have meetings? Does the team meet on a regular basis? And I don't mean every freaking day, but what happened was we started having weekly meetings. So we would go over the calendar. We would talk about students. We would talk about future possibilities. Do we, what, what things do we need? What are we looking at? What qualms are we having? Um, what are the issues? Do we have field trips coming up? What can we do? What are we doing for Thanksgiving? Are we We're going to have a big Thanksgiving feast for everybody? Are we, what are we going to do? Are we going to do before winter break? Are we going to have a big holiday kind of thing, pizza party or something? Because Thanksgiving dinner that we have at the school was just humongous and it took one heck of a lot of work. Yeah. We did the same thing. We had meetings about upcoming events and needs and just calendar mm -hmm. stuff. And then we went into case management and talked about almost every kid. And, and we were, yeah, we were fortunate that we had a kitchen so that we yeah, could, we, we were able to bake, have baked goods for the kids, fresh baked goods. We made cookies did breads. We did all Same kinds thing. of things. 
Yeah, yeah. we sometimes make things. And there was a big Cinco de Mayo thing every year. It was kind of like a bunch of the students wanted to do it, got together and made some pretty good food. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think that we've hit just about everything. I know that there are some things that we omitted. Well, we didn't. It, they were not omitted on purpose. They were omitted due to lack of brain space, maybe, at the time. Because <laughs> I've been working on... Possibly it took overlooked. me. It took me several days to put this together. So, and then just speaking with you, Philip, today, all of a sudden, all these other things come flooding back. Yeah, and then, yeah, you know, it's one of those things where you walk into it, you, you start to say something about it. And then it's like walking through a door and you say, why am I here? So unfortunately that's not (laughs) there, but I think this gives a pretty good idea of how to conduct an interview for alternative ed. Yeah. And what to look for if you want to interview for an alternative ed program or, or yeah. Yeah. Or you know, so, any small environment type alternative setting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You also want to know what the student population is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do they develop their student population? I think that that's a very important one. So, for example, you and I both taught with residential. Yeah. That was an and that was a one. specific, that was a very specific population for you when I began it was a commingling of different types of um, juvenile offender populations. And then when so, it, it was one specific sort of. Yeah. And so, offense. you know, how did that, there was a whole different dynamic to it. So yeah, you want to know these things and you want to huh. know what the rules are and, and, you know, just general questions. So, but aside from that, I think that's pretty hmm. much it. Yeah, that doesn't. I feel satiated. <laughs> My brain is full. (laughs) (laughs) As is mine. So (laughs) I just want to wrap things up and I want to say thank you, Philip. Thank you, Tony. And make sure that you all subscribe and check out the YouTube channel. And next week, we will be talking about student agency and how do we demonstrate respect for students and their learning in alternative education. So if you need a transcript from this week, go ahead, just write to educationaltriage at gmail.com, put in the subject heading transcript, and we will get that right to you. So until then, have a good week and enjoy yourselves. Bye-bye.